Well, we're continuing tonight our reflection in the book of Hebrews, and I invite you to, um, to please turn to Hebrews chapter 9. We are in the thick of chapter 9, and I have to say this is probably one of the thickest sections in the book of Hebrews, um, but necessary, so I hope I don't put you to sleep. <laughs> but it's a, a really wonderful section, uh, really helping us to understand now as he moves to covenant theology and what the covenant means for us. So we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 22. Next week we'll conclude Hebrews 9, and um, pretty soon we'll be in Hebrews 11 and look at all the figures of what we call the hall of faith. But tonight I'll pick up at verse 11 and read through verse 22, text being at verse 15. Let's give our attention tonight to the holy word of the Lord. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Before I move on and read verse 15, 16, I want you to notice that um, in verse 16, for where a will is involved, and then verse 17, for a will, I will be reading that as covenant, because uh, the word is diatheke there in the Greek, and um, a better translation of that is covenant. So, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a covenant is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood." For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without blood, shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And there will end tonight the reading of God's Word. Well, we've been looking at, in Hebrews from last time, the benefits that arrive um, from the death of Christ. Remember, that was the, the great theme last time in looking at the precious blood of Christ. We say that in our Heidelberg Catechism. We are redeemed by His precious blood. What a beautiful truth that is. And he rehearsed, remember, some blessings that we enjoy um, the benefits of his shed blood. And they were really wonderful to work through last time, that his shed blood redeems us, and his shed blood clears us, and his shed blood consecrates us as his people. The large point he was making is that Christ's blood has the effect of clearing our consciences. 
We carry around a lot of guilt because of sin. We carry around a lot of defilement still in that struggle against sin. And that's precious, isn't it? That's precious in the gospel that, that, that his, bro- his blood cleanses our consciences from dead works to, to worship the living God. That when your hearts condemn you, God is, is greater than your hearts and knows all things. The Lord desires us to live in confidence of, in that. That his blood has cleansed us. That we, his blood has washed us. That's how we stand before him. Whenever we feel that defilement and struggle with defilement, this is what he does in the gospel. He sprinkles his blood on our consciences, if you will. It's purifying. This is what we said last time. Baptism signifies the inward washing away of our sins by the blood of Christ. But now the author wants to help us to understand How secure that is for us. How true that is for us. And that's rooted in the fact that God made a covenant. Um, God doesn't deal with people apart from a covenant. It's a very important concept, boys and girls, in the Scripture. We have to give our attention to it. And tonight he wants us to appreciate how many blessings flow out of the truth that God established a covenant with he and his people. With us and our children, as we kind of considered this morning, didn't we? And what it means that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He's already introduced this theme back in chapter 8, where he went through and cited Jeremiah 31. But how now his death is in connection with the entire history of God's covenant with his people is what he's now transitioning to. He's taking all the old concepts of, of the Old Testament and he's helping us with them and showing Jesus is better, Jesus is superior, and how Jesus fulfills the whole design of the covenant. And with this in mind, he wants to encourage us, he wants us to think now about what it means that he is the mediator of the new covenant through his death, through his blood, as we have worked with this theme. And that's what we're looking at. I think, as I said a moment ago, this is probably one of the more complex sections in Hebrews. I knew coming here this would be a little more challenging because you really have to have some basic understanding of covenant theology and what he, to understand what he's doing here. So we're going to go through a little bit of that tonight, and hopefully um, it's clear for you. But that's how we'll look at this tonight, looking at the new covenant explained, the new covenant established, and the new covenant celebrated. And I think he's working with that great theme tonight so that we would appreciate when we live, the benefits that have come since the veil, as he's already uh, helped us to understand, has been torn in two, and that heaven is open to us. Well, look at tonight at verse 15. That's where he begins, at least where we're beginning, as he's developing this argument. By the way, if you think this is difficult, they probably read this whole book in a setting. So um, this would have been a lot to take in just hearing it read. Um, But verse 15 tonight is where we are. And you'll notice up front, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. It's interesting that he says first. I have a theory as to why he says first. Because I think he's tying it back to creation. But I won't spend my time on speculation. 
Now, I'm going to conclude with what is celebrated here. There's a lot celebrated up front, but I'm going to conclude with that. Notice the opening. He's the mediator of the new covenant. And verse 18 says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And he ties together the first covenant, you'll notice there, with Moses. With Moses. So I want you to notice here that really what are spoken of here are two covenants. Now they're unified. We'll look at in a sense that we, we always want to maintain that it's, there's a unity to this. It's an administration of the covenant of grace. It serves the purposes of the covenant of grace. We're going to get there. But notice what's referenced here. The first covenant and then the new covenant. Two big themes here that he's working with. Because they've wanted to go back to the first covenant, haven't they, to find the solution. And he's tearing that all down. He's saying, he said this um, that in, in chapter 8, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. And then he quoted Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Um, and he quotes really the, the long section there in chapter 8 of Jeremiah 31 to tell you all you're in that. You are the people of the Israel of God that he's gathered out of all the earth and made one people who are enjoying the benefits of Jeremiah 31. Why would you ever want to go back then to the first covenant is what he's working with. So this is why we call it a covenant of grace. Where was the covenant of grace introduced. Well, if we say that the new covenant was for the first time enacted in history after the death of Jesus, we would be missing the unity of the scriptures. Um, this is important because God had always had something in place that was in, in um, Revelation, what we say the Bible progresses in its clarity. So in Genesis 3, the Lord comes and he makes a promise that the seed of the serpent, right, um, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. There embedded there was a promise that somebody would come who would have a seed and who would crush the head of the serpent and his seed. Seed theology is important throughout the scriptures. And that would make us fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, you remember, and, and, and again, um, the Bible doesn't just drop out of the sky. It comes to us in a context. And this is what's important about covenants, and I think this is what he's working with here in Hebrews, is that when covenants were made and covenants were ratified, they had to be made officially valid. How were they made valid? How were they made officially valid? Well, the parties entering in, into a covenant were represented in those days by animals and shedding of the blood of animals. So two parties would come together and um, they would draw terms and agreements and that would be called in a covenant. A bond or an oath taken of an agreement between two parties on something, about something. You somewhat do this when you go and buy a, a house. You know, there's no bloodshed, but you see the long list of papers you have to go through. The first time I did it, I thought, is this ever going to end? What am I really signing here? I'm not reading all this. 
the reality is they knew exactly what they were agreeing to. They knew exactly what they were agreeing to. And, and he's working with this concept of ancient covenants here. Both parties would cut open animals when they made a covenant. Um, so if you can imagine this, the animals would be separated. And in these covenants, they would put animals in rows. And the parties would walk down the middle of the rows. And if a particular party did not fulfill the terms of the covenant, the very death represented by the shed blood of the animals would fall on the offending party, would fall on those who break the covenant. So covenant breaking is a, is a real problem. Now you know this story. Where do we see the first development of the, the covenant of grace in history? The first announce, um, announcement of it was Genesis 15. And the Lord God said, remember God said, I'm going to give all this land to you. And I'm going to give you a seed to Abraham. And Abraham said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer. Three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. He cut them in half and laid each half against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Abram, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land. On that day, the Lord made a covenant. Where was Abraham? Asleep. That's a big moment. <laughs> Abraham didn't walk down the aisle to fulfill his side. God walked there, and, and you'll notice there those, I think, very playing off of when it says the um, smoking fire and a flaming torch. It would have been similar to what Israel saw in the wilderness that passed them through the sea. With the legs of God, if you will, walking. Cutting this covenant. Walking in oath stance. Oath and promise. But Abraham was asleep. So God was declaring something here. God just made a covenant, and we see something dimly, I think, at this point. We really can only understand this through the eyes of looking at the fulfillment in the new covenant. But we're seeing something dimly that Abraham is out of the equation in fulfilling the requirements of the covenant of grace. The cutting of the covenant with us is in Christ. So that the terms would be met by him. And the author here is fixated on this by saying, helping us understand what blood accomplishes. The ratifying of a covenant, animals were split in two, and it was legally binding because blood was shed. Blood was shed. Now hold that thought. That's an important, important section. But now he moves here. This is some background into the covenant of grace. He moves here to the first covenant. 
of what happened at Sinai. God entered into a covenant with Israel. The author here calls it the first covenant. There was something different that happened, do you remember? Remember in Exodus 19, the law was, was, was being given, and, and remember who swore in that covenantal arrangement. Exodus 19, and I quote, All that the Lord has said, we shall do. And the covenant was cut. Um, this is uh, Exodus 24. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And by the way, he's quoting Exodus 24 here in Hebrews 9. He's working with it. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the blood of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they swore, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took blood. Imagine this. You're standing there. Moses grabs a handful of blood of all these animals. And he flings it on the people. Blood is splattered all over him. And said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, the author here is speaking of this as the old covenant or the first covenant. But notice they're not asleep. <laughs> they're not asleep. Um, they're not standing to the side. They have, they have made full agreement to the terms of this. And then the, determin- the, the terms of this were summarized in Leviticus 18. The man who does these things shall live by them. Now that's where, where the author of Hebrews in our text goes. Notice verse 19. For he says, When Moses had spoken every precept to the people according to the law, he took blood and sprinkled it on all the people. And they said, All the words of the covenant will do. That's taking it from Exodus 24. And the question that any, I think, good reader would ask, did they? Did they? (laughs) It's a clear, emphatic, no. So you had a choice, is what I'm trying to um, help us with here. You had a choice. You would either look to the promise of God made to Abraham in Christ in the covenant of grace. And that's why, again, we say that the covenant of grace was always in operation. And the the first covenant here served the purpose of the covenant of grace. Um, That you would look to Jesus, which is all these types and shadows. That's all they taught everyone to do. The gospel was preached to Abraham. The gospel was preached to Israel in the wilderness. All these types and shadows And when you look to Christ in the types of shadows, there was an announcement that his blood would cover you. His blood will cover you. Or you said, I can do this. I've got this. And then your blood would be required at your own hand. It'd be your own blood. 
See, this is basic to Christianity, isn't it? It's very basic to Christianity. There's two kind of systems at work here. There's a system of, of your own righteousness. What do you think Jesus was fighting all the time with the Pharisees? They were trying to establish their own righteousness before God because they didn't listen to the law. They didn't hear the law in its full power condemn them. And they said, we will establish our righteousness before God this way. This gets down to the basic principle in life when you're talking to somebody and they say to you, yeah, you know, I'm a good person. Well, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Well, in the end, I think my good has outweighed the bad. They're in a covenant arrangement. (laughs) That's why at the last day when the books are opened, the sins are written down for those who aren't covered by the blood of Christ. So I think this is a really important point. Philip Hughes says this, the inability of man to keep to keep the law's demands made unmistakably clear his guilty state before God. Man's great and radical need is justification. You have to be made right with God. But the law could never justify the lawbreakers. Despairing of his own efforts to achieve righteousness by his works, man's only hope was to turn away from himself and seek refuge of faith in the pardoning grace which had been promised. Thus the law, now this is important, the law was our custodian, our tutor, our teacher, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now here's the whole point of this section tonight. That's why you don't want to relate to God based on the terms of the old covenant when the people said, we'll do it ourselves. We're all in trouble that way. It'd be be a scary thing to go through our sins and to stand before God to have to give an account for them. And yet, again, I emphasize, it is not innate to us to think that we're bad people, but that we're good people. And that God accepts us based on our goodness. So, as Jesus dealt with the Israel of his day, who didn't celebrate his coming, who didn't celebrate the righteousness he was bringing in, who didn't celebrate his person and work, but fought him tooth and nail the whole way based on the law, This is why Jesus said in John 5, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope, the law. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. See, this was the problem. This is why the first covenant Had it been faultless, there would not be need for another. Now, let me put it together. So, if you look now at verse 16, I hope we can make some progress with this. For where a covenant is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a covenant takes effect only at death. Since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. There's a fundamental difference between a will and the covenant. Um, you're agreeing to the terms of a will yourself. But you'll notice in the covenant, God is the one. 
God is the one determining. And what he's saying here is, when a covenant is made, it is only established by a death. Without a death, it's not established. And he says, even the old covenant, and here's the continuity, blood was sprinkled to declare this truth, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So it was sprinkled on the people and the tabernacle and the book because of defilement to teach them this truth, that they could not do this. Guess what God did? Guess what God did for us? He fulfilled it. This is what we celebrate in the Incarnation. This is the gift of God to the world. Through the blood of His Son that was shed, guess what that means? The new covenant is ratified and it's in effect because His blood was shed. And since His blood was shed, all the terms of the covenant of grace have been met by Christ to set you free. Even faith, which is the response that is demanded, is the gift. Isn't that what Ephesians 2 says? Even faith is a gift. You apprehend all these benefits by faith. Now, I said a lot tonight. Um, If you hear this, you'll get the sermon. It's really simple, I think. (laughs) This statement. He's the mediator of the new covenant through his blood. And that means the death of the redemption of the transgressions made under the first covenant. He's the one that stood in your place for you to bear the curses of the covenant because we are lawbreakers, to take them all on himself, and to set you free. When Israel looked to Jesus... They had the mediator, the only mediator between God and man. And that was all anticipated, beloved, in the Old Covenant, was anticipated that Jesus would come in the fullness of time and that he would be born under the law and become the curse, that he might redeem us from the curse and set us free. Tonight, he says there are major things to be celebrated about this. Major things to be celebrated about this. First tonight, he is your mediator. And notice this, um, back at verse um, um, 15. Therefore, he's the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems. That is a wonderful statement. He is your mediator so that those who are called, those who are the called of God, so beautiful here, may receive, not achieve, may receive the promised inheritance. What has Hebrews been telling you? Heaven's been open to you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I, where I go, when I come back, I'm taking you to be where I am. 
This is the promised inheritance that is prepared for us. We receive that through his death. It is certain. It is sure. And he wants us to live that way by faith. When he finished his work and heaven was opened up, the message of Hebrews is he has continually, as your high priest, been ministering to you on your behalf. That's why whenever you sin, you can pray to him and he cleanses your consciences from all sins. I think Peter was captivated by this in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept or reserved in heaven for you, who are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. See, it was the benefits and blessings of the covenant of grace that drove the New Testament authors to say something like that. The inheritance is reserved for you. And he desires for you to believe that. Jesus didn't go through this for nothing. To trust him. And then he says, so that, notice verse 15, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions, he goes on to say, um, he goes on to say there that there is full remission of sins. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, beloved. All your sins have been let go by the blood of Christ. He has forgiven you. He is not holding them against you because he walked that path for you. This is what the cross was to fulfill every place that you broke the arrangement. Your sins are great. And I think this is intended to give us so much peace. I think this is why Hebrews 2 said, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. Propitiation. He makes it. He satisfies the wrath of God. He accomplishes it. He said it's finished. And that's the fulfillment of everything that was promised to Abraham that you're enjoying. Um, That should give us optimism. That should give us hope. It's the best news that could ever be announced. Our sins are great. We weep over them. We repent of them. We're in a struggle against them. We experience guilt and shame for them. But God does not desire to leave us there. He picks us up. He doesn't expose the guilt and shame of our sins to leave us in that place. He desires and desires for us to appreciate the perfect mediator that's been sent on your behalf. Offered himself without blemish to God for you by his blood. And what that means is that what the law could not do, God did by sending his son so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. That's what the new covenant is all about. You have the mediator. You have the perfect performer of the covenant of grace who stood in your place. This is justification by grace through faith alone. Right here, your greatest need is met that when you believe Christ and you trust in him, which is a gift, as we said, of faith, 
then he gives you and credits to you the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if you had never sinned or been a sinner. As if you had been perfectly obedient. That's what we say. That's what we confess. And that's what he's constantly mediating to you all the precious benefits of the covenant of grace. There's a warning here, I think, in the book. Those wanting to go back to confidence in the law and they're standing before God, those who think their righteousness is achieved by it, those who think they're just good moral people on their own and that that's what God will accept, that's a scary place to be. For then you're denying the only mediator between God and man. Our blood would be required and it can never cover and meet the debt and pay the payment. That's why there is a judgment to come. I think all the world shows us there's a judgment to come. Can't, wasn't it awful, the thing in Tennessee the other day? Of a gal out running, and the wicked brutally murders somebody? Well, she was a member of a Presbyterian church. She was the piano player. There's a judgment to come. And this proves no one And the human heart is righteous before God. Look at the depths we can go to in evil. But look what he can achieve through the blood of his son by redeeming a people who will love him and respond by his grace. When you look by faith to Christ, the greatest news is made known to you. All of your sins are expiated. They are forgiven. They are wiped away. Jesus meant it when he spoke son when he said to the man son your sins are forgiven you as far as the east is from the west so far have i cast them from you i am the mediator who took on the the judgment the sanctions of the covenant in your place and the result for you is peace and reconciliation with god now is that going to create in a people who understand this disregard for the covenant What did we study this morning? Complete disregard for the covenant. They didn't give their children the sign. They didn't teach their children. They didn't speak of the Lord's ways. That's not going to produce that in the covenant of grace among those who have been redeemed and bought by the precious blood of Christ. It's going to produce a people who begin to taste what it means to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, anticipating the fullness of that in the new heavens and the new earth. So we're called to rejoice in this tonight, to celebrate the covenant of grace, to rejoice in the new covenant promises of God, that God has been faithful. God has supplied what we need. This covenant he has made with us and our children is an everlasting covenant. And isn't that the note to end on tonight? When those memorial stones were set up, they were told to look to Christ. When Christ gave the supper, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which was shed for you. So look to me, and there is a day coming where we will eat and drink anew together in my Father's kingdom, he says. What a wonderful covenant God we serve who includes us and our children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings of the new covenant through the shed blood of Christ. Thank you for being faithful to fulfill all that you promised that you would do. 
Give us by your mercies tender hearts. And may we receive, since you have said we are receiving a kingdom, not achieving the kingdom, receiving it by grace. May we receive it by faith, believing your promises. And may it make us a people who are deeply committed in response by true faith to love the Lord who has blessed us and our children with such mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.